0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keenom, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is March the 2nd, 2023, a Thursday. Earlier today, did a show with the Amsterdam-based architect Renia de Graaf, a book called uh, architect verb uh, the new language of building in which uh, Rainier was a really interesting conversation suggested that uh, language has been inverted its real meaning is actually the reverse of, of, of how we use it um, when it comes to building so uh, all this language of livability when it comes to the new architecture actually reflects um, an unlivability so to speak Uh It's a nonfiction book. Today, uh, we're dealing with a new novel. It's actually out next week. It's called Women Are the Fiercest Creatures. All novels, of course, are about language. And this book, in a way, is a natural segue from Architect Verb. It's it's, It's a novel about the way in which we use language. Some people use it more truthfully than others. Um, and the language of gender, the language of sex, the language that men in particular use with women. Uh, its author is Andrea Dunlop. Uh, she's written a number of novels before. The book, as I said, is out next week. And she is joining us from Seattle. Uh, Andrea, welcome. Uh, is that fair? I mean, all, that, all novels, of course, are about language. But is, is, is your new book, um, Women are the Fair, Fiercest Creatures. Is it a novel about the use and misuse of language?
1: I think in some ways it is. As you were saying that, I was thinking of one of my particular pet peeves is the way that we use the word uh, or the phrase working mother versus working father, which is just like a term you never hear. So I think certainly the ways in which we talk about things reflect the way that we feel about things and so that it's an interesting angle on it
0: so tell me a little bit about the novel of course we don't want to give everything away we want people to buy it it's out next week but what's the book about what uh, what what is what is the fiction at the heart of women are the fiercest creatures
1: so women are the fiercest creatures is the story of uh manipulative tech CEO who is about to take his company public for potentially a lot of money and uh, just at the moment he's going to do so his past comes back to haunt him and the three most important women in his life his new wife um, Jessica who is currently pregnant with his child his ex-wife Anna who is the father of his two sons and his ex-girlfriend Sam kind of all converge on him um, and he has to answer for some of his past bad deeds against all three of them um kind of at the worst possible moment for him so yeah that's what the book is about it's it's a fast-paced family drama and it's set here in seattle
0: you say it's a family drama it sounds like a feminist drama it sounds like the kind of book that probably women would have more fun with than men is that fair
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, certainly women are my primary audience, but that's the same for anyone who's writing novels, because about 70 or anyone who's writing books, actually, I should say it's about 70% of book buyers are women. Um, so yes, but I mean, I think uh, I, I hope to, you know, I, I always hope to write books that appeal to anybody. Um, I certainly don't think that only women should be interested in women's stories. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it it'll, will particularly speak to women.
0: Andrew, why do you think 70% of readers these days are women? I mean, of course, the patronizing male response would be, well, they have more time than men, but of course that's wrong.
1: Um, I don't know what women you've met that you think of. Well, that, that, I, 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 I wasn't
0: going to let, it, you know, I wasn't <laughs> right. setting myself up. I was saying some people would say. Short, I would I'm i sure it. some
1: people would say that. I'm sure some people would say that. Some people might say that women are more intellectually curious than men. I don't know. Um, I don't know why that is. You know, that's really interesting. That's That's been true of book publishing for a long time. You know, I worked, um, I worked in book publishing for a long time before I was an author myself. I was a publicist at Doubleday, which is part of Random House um and yeah i mean that's 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 really always been true about book buying audiences and and that's an interesting question i i don't really know why that is but i think you know reading books and in particular reading novels especially reading novels about maybe people that don't share your exact same life experience is a great way to build empathy so i certainly would invite men to spend a little more time reading novels maybe that that would be a very good thing
0: one of the ironic things about the publishing industry you said you worked for um double day we we a couple of months ago I had the ex ceo of double day steve rubin I'm not sure if you ever worked with him I
1: did show. he was he was the publisher when I was there yes
0: so one of the um troubling things about the publishing industry is as you say 70% of readers are women but 70% of executives aren't women. In fact, I would think the reverse is true. Were you troubled by that as as somebody who worked in uh, the big publishing industry?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly the dynamic when I was there, and it's still the dynamic today is that you have a ton of women working in the industry. So a ton of, you know, the assistants, a ton of the editors, a ton of the sort of people who are actually, you know, on the ground doing the books um, are women. And then once you get pass that to the publisher and to you know the c-suite sort of you know executive level of the of the company it's almost all men um and I think that's just reflective of the culture at large's sort of hierarchy in that way right and I think you know a lot of this book is about that question of being uh, quote working mom, which we used to mean someone that has a career outside the home, um, you know, but but I think women women really take a huge hit for becoming mothers in their careers. You know, there's been tons of studies around this, right? Like women see a pay decrease, men see what's called the father bump, where they get actually a pay increase at work. Um, and so I think that that is one huge reason for like you know across the board, not just in publishing, but is a huge reason for why women sort of. You know they talk about that glass ceiling like why women can stall out in their careers is because they're being they're being held back because they made the choice to be mothers which is certainly not the way it should be
0: andrew tell me a little bit about yourself you you live in seattle i hope you're not uh, married to a, a a tech exec who's about to take his company public <laughs>
1: No, I'm definitely not um that would probably be hit a little clo- a little close to home uh, no my my husband is a mechanical engineer um so yes, very brilliant guy, but uh not not a techie um yes, I do live in Seattle um with my husband and my two kids I have a four and a half year old and an eight month old so this, uh, this book, you know, being about mothers was very influenced by my own experience becoming a mother. Um, I'm also a podcast host. I have a um, podcast called Nobody Should Believe Me. First season of that is out now. Um, that is sort of a different side of my work. Um, and I am at work on actually a nonfiction book. First time I've ever written nonfiction. Um, and I'm co-writing that with a male detective from Texas, just in case anyone thinks that I'm not in general, welcome to welcoming to male authors or, or male audiences, that will be interesting to see how although actually, it's a a true crime book. And again, most of the audience for true crime is female. So these are really interesting questions to to know when something has that big of a gender disparity, why it attracts one gender over the other.
0: Yeah, we'll have to get you back on the show when the the true crime book is done. You're in Seattle, I'm in San Francisco. Both cities, of course, are proudly liberal. Um, Mm -hmm. Both Cities are ones that embrace new technology, innovation, all the language of progress. And yet also, and I I assume that's uh, between the lines of your narrative, there are also cities where men continue to dominate. Is that an important piece of your narrative, the contradiction, if you like, between political liberalism and the illiberalism in the home when it comes to gendered politics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, my one of my main characters or my main male character, Jake Sarnoff, who's the tech CEO, he really proudly calls himself a feminist and makes a big deal about how his, you know, his company that he built, you know, his social media company treats women better. And and of course, that doesn't, you know, that it ends up that 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 value with him is pretty shallow when it comes to his own life and even in the company that he built. And yeah, I think probably Seattle and San Francisco share a lot in that, you know, we have a lot of professed liberal values and yet whether or not our cities live up to that is a whole other story. You know, Seattle, like again, like San Francisco, we have massive, massive housing inequity. Um, We have you know, gentrification that's pushed a lot of people to the margins. So I think it's, yeah, there there is certainly that, that is in the book and that that was on my mind when I was writing it. There
0: was an interesting piece. uh, I think it was in the journal a couple of days ago about Mark Benioff at Salesforce, a very successful tech entrepreneur, made many billions of dollars um, about how he used to talk about inclusivity at Salesforce until, um, he had to lay some people off and then he conveniently forgot that language. Benioff was also criticized by someone who came on the show about Davos Man being the sort of the, the archetype Davos Man. I don't want to pick on Benioff. He's getting enough criticism anyway. Um, but what is it, do you think, um, uh, Andrea, about tech that brings out this profound hypocrisy that your your fictional uh, main male character Tarnoff sounds in some ways a little bit like Benioff.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I did think about a, sort of a lot of these, you know, male tech CEOs that that have, have sort of just had unbridled power sort of develop over the last couple of decades. And I think that's, that's sort of, you know, it's certainly, again, these problems are not exclusive to the tech world. But I think it, it's hard not to see that as having an you know, outsized influence, just because I think, you know, I mean, I'm 40. So I'm a couple years older than Mark Zuckerberg. I did not grow up with social media. And I have seen it just become, you know, I've sort of lived through it becoming this massive force and just gone from like, oh, this is a fun thing that we're all going to do to oh, this is massively affecting how democracies function. Um, And so I think just that kind of out of control power certainly makes them um, outsized figures. And, you know, like, you're saying you're picking on Benny off, but I mean, I, they can handle it. I'm sure, you know. And I think actually we haven't been critical enough of um of these men. And I think, and you know, one thing I thought about a lot is that we're very we're very attuned and critical to how women are as mothers. Like when you are a mother, you definitely feel like everyone is watching you, and sort of like any, you know, there's a lot of pressure to be this sort of walk this fine line and be this, you know, perfect mother and With fathers, you know, uh, quite the opposite. We see a lot of famous fathers and, you know, ones who are entrepreneurs like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, who are sort of have a famously troubled history as fathers, and they don't come under anything like the same criticism. And I I think the reason that's important is number one, just culturally how we see those roles. But also, to my mind, you know, my father's a My father is a successful entrepreneur and and he was a great dad and is a great dad. And I think, you know, really how you treat the people closest to you always says the most about your character, right? So if you're running a successful company, but you treat your family poorly and you treat your employees poorly, then that really says everything about your character.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up jobs. Um, One of the things that really struck me, uh, we had Walter, Walter Isaacson a few years ago who wrote, of course. The, the biography of, of Jobs, one of the things that really struck me about Jobs and his relationship with his kids was he was really close to his sons and he bullied his daughter. And I wonder whether in the novel or in real life um, you see a difference between the way in which these successful tech entrepreneurs treat their sons and their daughters
1: yeah I mean it's hard to talk about that as a sort of broader thing just because I don't know enough about them as fathers for the most part because like i, I I'm pretty sure Mark Zuckerberg has kids, but I couldn't even tell you off the top of my head if he has kids and again well I've they never they stay-
0: carefully I mean it's a particularly ironic of Zuckerberg given that he's destroyed most of our privacy oh, right. that he protects right, but his he but his so aggressively he even <laughs> bought the houses around him in San Francisco so we can't see right. what he's up to
1: so that's, that's nice if you can do that, um, you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think in terms of Steve Jobs, and he was, you know, and Walter Isaacson, that's an incredible biography of him. But I mean, I, you know, it, it's hard to say, I think, but I did, I read his daughter's memoir, Small Fry, which is an excellent read. And it is, I mean, it's, you know, he, he let his, he let his eldest daughter grow up in poverty while he was becoming. You know, yeah. And nasty. that was
0: the oldest daughter, the daughter who didn't grow up within the second family he had. And, but even the, the second daughter also has had a, a profoundly, um, compl- shall we say a euphemistically complicated relationship with jobs. And of course the two entrepreneurs, Seattle based entrepreneurs who most readily come to mind, this. uh, Uh, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, both of whom recently have been involved in one kind of, I don't know whether you would call it a sexual scandal, but certainly uh, uh, are onto their second or third marriages. Um, Is there any fact in your fictional character? Did you base Sarnoff on Gates or, or, or Bezos or Jobs?
1: Uh, no, I didn't base him directly on anyone, but certainly those stories were all, you know, in the ether. And I think with, um, with Bezos and Gates, it's interesting because yes, as you said, they've just had high profile divorces and, you know, Melinda Gates and Bill Gates, that's, that's not really a divorce that I thought I would ever see. You know, they've been, they're longtime Seattle people, um, you know, and, and were sort of, I think seen even in the broader tech world is like, A really like stable marriage, you know, so I think that that all of the, you know, my goodness, yeah, there was a whole, there's a whole sort of tawdry thing that we could go back about, um, Jeffrey Epstein and that whole thing that but I I, that's speculation, I don't know what caused that divorce, obviously. And then, you know, with with Bezos, obviously, um, you know, his divorce from from Mackenzie, and it's been really interesting to see, her trajectory becoming such a, you know, such a huge philanthropist in the wake of that divorce. I think that's been interesting. And what's
0: interesting about her is that she went through a second divorce, um, which sounds rather sad. And Gates is really interesting in the context. Of course, no one would argue that he isn't doing enormously good work with all his philanthropic endeavors. And yet the stories that came out about him were rather embarrassing and, and shameful. So, again, with, with Gates, I guess one could, um, your dog is barking, he's probably- Yes, stopped, I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna go let him Bill, out real quick. Yeah, I can never get through- with the ...behavior of
0: Bill Gates or um, or Def Bezos. Um, I can but, but never get through so a day of interviews about, um, without my dog. <laughs> Gates, you know, one can be a real jerk on the one hand, and also an enormously um noble philanthropist on the other. Come on.
1: Of course. And, you know, what I would like to see is us to get for us to give women that sort of breadth to be human. Right. This is really interesting because on, you know, on the other side of my professional life in my podcast and in my nonfiction, you know, I'm talking about uh, Munchausen by proxy, which is primarily a female crime I mean, primarily like 96% of female crime. And so I think we do have this, benevolent sexism of not being willing to see women as evil or potential criminals um and it's interesting an interesting flip side of what we're talking about because i think we're just more willing to give men the full breadth of the human experience right we think they we know they can be Bad and good—that how they are as fathers doesn't necessarily completely define them. That how they are as entrepreneurs doesn't completely define them. And I think we just have much more of a tendency to, you know, to sort of try and fit women in in a more narrow, more narrow box. And so, um, you know, those contradictions really—they—they come—they come up for me a lot in my work. So that's an interesting thing to think about.
0: Some Bobby, some people might be uh, listening to this, uh, Andrew, and saying. She's not very nuanced. Uh, the reviews that came in and one of the reviews suggests that uh, it's a great book, but readers who prefer nuance on the difference between men and women should look elsewhere. Is that a fair criticism? Did you miss nuance in the book? Um,
1: <laughs> that's funny. I don't actually read uh, my reviews most of yeah, the time. Mo- so, uh,
0: I-, I understand. Yeah. But, but-
1: no, it's, but that's fine. Um, I mean, I don't, um, I I don't know if I really agree with that, but it's not my job to agree or disagree with reviews, um, or anything anybody thinks of the book. Well, so. but let me let me put um, the question
0: then differently. Um, d- was your goal nuance, or is this book? Um, I mean, it's a fierce title; it doesn't sound like a very nuanced title. Women are the fiercest creatures.
1: No, we, I mean, I guess if I guess if nuance,
0: we... or is that not the purpose of an uh, uh, of this kind of novel?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I think my goal as a writer is always just to write a compelling story to keep, you know, I'm I'm a fiction writer, I want to keep people engaged, I want them to keep turning pages. I mean, no, certainly, like, I guess if you see nuance as not having strong opinions, then I'm certainly not, um, I'm certainly not the writer for you. I certainly have strong opinions. And, you know, they they certainly come through. Um, You know, I think right now is not really the time to sort of be Middling uh, on issues like this for me. I mean, it's a it's a pretty rage inducing time to be a woman. To be totally frank, I mean, I have an eight month old son. He was nine days old when Roe v. Wade was overturned. So, I mean, I think a lot of women are feeling pretty angry, um, pretty fearsome, if you will. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, certainly, like if if that's how someone chooses to see it, I I hope that the male character in my book also feels like a real person um and i I don't think you know i've also actually seen reviews that did not think i was hard enough on him so um you know i I think it's just going to be like every book it's going to be it's going to hit different people differently and so um you know that's always that's always what you're sort of game for as an author right i never want to tell people how i think they should respond to my work
0: when you say it's a, a rage-inducing time to be a, a woman, I, I mean, I take your point on Roe versus Wade, but in other ways, there's never been a better time to be a woman. Is that fair or am I wrong?
1: I mean, I suppose it At least a white,
0: the... middle-class woman in say, <laughs> Sure, in, in, I, yeah, I mean- Non-fictional Seattle.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, for me in particular, as a woman with considerable privilege, sure- you know, if I look at sort of growing up in the post, you know, Title IX, post, you know, whole bunch of sort of first, you know, first wave or second wave feminism that happened in the 1970s. Yeah, there are a lot of advantages that I have that my predecessors did not have. Um, but that said, I mean, I think what maybe some people don't really quite realize if they haven't been through it is that if you are in a position as a woman where your bodily autonomy is taken away that is, that's so tied to everything else. I mean, that's tied to your economic future. That's tied to your safety. That's tied to everything. Um, And so, I mean, it's really, it's really hard to say whether I think things on the whole are moving forward. Um, And, you know, that's not just for me specifically, or even my daughter specifically, although I do worry about that. But I I think, you know, the only sort of hope for women moving forward as a group is solidarity. And so I certainly, you know, I can say things are fine for myself, and and things are good for myself. But I, you know, feel solidarity and concern for the people who for whom things are definitely not fine.
0: You mentioned solidarity, one of the people we had on the show uh, last year was a A labor union organizer daisy pickin um she has an interesting new book out on the line a story of class solidarity and two women's epic fight to build a union um how does that solidarity that female solidarity in your mind how should it manifest itself should it be done through unions or simply through personal relationships
1: well I mean, I'm personally pro-union. I think you, you know, certainly can find all kinds of opinions on that. Um, and I think, you know, a, a big important thing, too, is really looking at solidarity through an intersectional lens, right? So again, not thinking of how, does, how, does, how do these things, how do these policies, um, how do these conditions affect just me or just women exactly like me, um, but thinking about how they, you know, affect people across class and race lines as well. Um, so I think that's, that's really important.
0: When it comes to fixing all these injustices, where where should we look, Andrea? Um, We had Lise Vesterland on the show last year as well. She has a book out, The No Club, putting a stop to women's dead-end work. Um, Do we need to reform the corporation first? As you said, you worked at Doubleday. Probably you got given a lot of busy work and guys like Steve Robin did all the fun work. Um, Do women need to rethink... Their supposed altruism at work, and stop doing the uh, stop doing uh, work that makes men happy. Do they need to all join the No Club?
1: Um, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I I think too often this debate gets framed in terms of sort of personal responsibility. And there's a lot of things about like, how women should say no, and how women should advocate better for themselves, or how men, women should negotiate like men. Um, And I think that's just putting the focus in the wrong place, because it's sort of advocating personal solutions to systemic problems. Um, and so certainly, I advocate for women standing up for themselves and saying no to things. And and I think, you know, also choosing partners who are going to be truly supportive and be truly partners. Um, so in some ways, I think, you know, I'm very, I'm long out of the corporate world. But I think a lot of this, you know, also starts at home. I know a lot of women who are really, you know, top people at their jobs and still have very inequitable marriages. So I think, yeah, across the board, do I think women should should stand up for themselves against it? Yes. But I think these are systemic issues and we should look at them as systemic issues.
0: And when it comes to all this as a systemic issue, is the biggest problem wages, wages, Claudia Golden's probably the world's leading authority on how much women get paid versus men. Uh, She was on the show last year. She had a book, Career and Family, Women's Century-Long Journey Towards Equity. She seems to argue that that equity has kind of arrived, but it's brought all sorts of other problems with it. Is the issue simply what women get paid? Is that one way of fixing this in in a concrete way?
1: I think that's one way, but I think that this is this problem is multifaceted, and you're adding a lot of books to my reading list here, so I will want to check out all of these. Good, good, good. But yeah, I mean, I think you know one thing that we saw that was really highlighted by the pandemic um, that I think is just so inextricable from this issue is the childcare crisis, right? The lack of available childcare. care, um, you know, and I was talking about that glass ceiling thing of people sort of of women not being able to get through that middle stage of their careers and really ascend because they're stopped in their tracks by make the decision to start a family in a way that men are not. And I think that the, you know, the the lack of quality, affordable childcare really affects families and it just falls on women in particular. And I think we saw this in the pandemic when everything shut down. You know, you had women for the first time in decades dropping out of the workforce in big numbers. Um, And so I think like the, the everything around Maternity leave, paternity leave, child care, everything around raising families. Until that gets more equitable, um, until policies are more equitable, we're not going to see wage growth. I mean, that's one of the things. It's not. It's not all about sort of some executive sitting in a C-suite, ha ha ha. I'm going to pay this woman less than this man for doing the same work. You know, obviously some of it is. Some of it is that. But I think a lot of it is there are these other forces that just come into play, and they just you know sort of demolish women's lifetime earnings um, over the course of their career. Especially, you know, kind of right in that middle space where where people are, you know, your career is sort of going full steam in your 30s, and and that's the time that you're going to probably have children.
0: Well, that's all right, so good stuff. Uh, Andrea Dunlop's book, uh, new novel, "Women Are the Fiercest Creatures," is out next week. Some of you uh, are familiar with her previous work. We came here to forget. Uh, she Regrets Nothing, um, Losing the Light, uh, a couple of other books too. So she's already a very experienced novelist. Finally, um, uh, Andrea, i, I got to ask this. You can tell me it's a dumb question, but still. Uh, if, if women are the fiercest creatures, what are men? <laughs> it's
1: not a stupid question, but it might be kind of a trick question. Um, so all I my mean, questions,
0: Andrea, tricks.
1: I... I would just say that once uh, I think my husband, my husband told me that he found it incredibly humbling to be in the room while I was giving birth the first time. And I think that maybe like, that's just something that, that men should think about um, the fact of like, what, what women are truly capable of. Um, yeah. So there's my answer. There's my non-answer answer for you, Andrew.
0: Uh,